This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 545. And the quote of the day is, don't worry about getting perfect. Just worry about getting better. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 545, and I'm in Pennsylvania right now actually recording this at my parents' house, and this is this is the last episode of the year. This is crazy. 2019 is over. I can't believe that 2019 is over already, and this is a re-release that I did. This is the third episode I've ever done of Drummer's Resource with James Gadsden, and the reason why I wanted to release this one, one, it's buried way down in the archives, and a lot of people are are not even aware that this episode exists with the great James Gadsden, and the second is because we're turning over a new year, not only a new year, but a new decade, and if you listen to my interview style it, with this interview versus what they sound like now, you can tell that I've obviously improved. My cadence has gotten better. The interviews have gotten better, my style, uh, all of those sorts of things. And it's sort of a, a sign to show everyone that, look, you may not be great at something now, but you can work and strive to achieve greatness. Not that I'm saying I'm great, but I'm get, I'm better than I was before. And it's also something that I can use in my own life when I'm I'm thinking I can't achieve something or I'm struggling or or I'm frustrated with the progress that I'm making. I can always go back and look at these earlier episodes of Drummer's Resource to remind me, hey, look, you just gotta you gotta take some time to learn, you gotta take some time to perfect that craft, and you just have to be you just have to be patient and and let those things happen. So that is the message from this episode. And we're going to get into it. But quickly, I want to remind you that if you are looking for symbols that sound amazing, but won't break the bank, I urge you to check out dreamsymbols.com. Not only do they make amazing symbols, they're a great group of people over there at Dream. And they're way more inexpensive than any other symbols out there. Check them out. Go to dreamsymbols.com. Dot com. All right, so let's get into it with the one and only James Gatson. And if you don't know much about him, he started his career with the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band and went on to record with all types of people like Bill Withers and The Temptations and Martha Reeves and Quincy Jones and Herbie Hancock, B.B. King, Albert King, a long list of others, all the way up into current artists like Beck. And again, he is one of the most recorded drummers of all time, has timeless knowledge, and has amazing perspective on just the art and craft of drumming for the song. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get into it with the amazing... James Gadson. James, thank you so much for being on the show. It really means a lot to me. It's such a pleasure to have you. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's, uh, I'm flattered. So you grew up, um, you're originally from Kansas City, Missouri, right? Yes, sir. So now, kind of what, how did you, how did you get into, into playing? Well, I, I, um, uh, my father was a drummer. He okay. played with Jay McShann and a lot of the pre, uh, the big band people. Uh, uh, but I uh, didn't. I wasn't really interested in the drums, in a way of speaking. I mean, I kind of wanted to play them, but then I didn't. I, I was a doo wop. I, I loved the doo wop singing. And, right. Uh, it was a famous drummer 
by the name of Jimmy Lovelace. See, my father didn't want me to play his drum. Mm -hmm. So Jimmy Lovelace uh, showed me a set of drums for five hours. He had gotten a new set. He later on came to be pretty prominent jazz drummer. He played with Wes Montgomery before he got out of here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I, I, I kept them for about six months, and I sold them for $7. So I made two dollars <laughs> profit, and uh, I was still in the doo wop. We had a group uh, called the Carpets. You know, I think we made it. I made a record when I was about fourteen years old. We were on oh, wow. a label called Federal, the same label that James Brown was on when he did "Please, Please, Please" and all that. My mother wouldn't let me, let me go on the road, which was a great thing. Now that I see that as young as I was, I probably wouldn't even be here today. But <laughs> Get in too much trouble. Right. Well, yeah, that, and then I was so square. Ain't uh, no telling what might have happened. But anyway, right. I uh, do wopped and do wopped, and I went into the air, uh, armed service. I went into the Air Force. And uh, my brother, unbeknown to me, had a group. He, he started a band. I didn't even, he was a guitar. He, I, he didn't even play guitar when I went into service. And uh, I, the whole time I was in the service, I was in the Air Force for four years. And I, I had, you know, sung some group with a couple of singing groups in there. And we we went to, uh, we had a group called the Five Marcells. And we went mm -hmm. almost to the top. But one of the guys accused another guy of messing with his wife, which wasn't true. I think he just wanted oh, to get man. out of it. And it killed us. They had what they call the Tops of the Pops. And we were going to win that one. And, um, I think either one group, I can't think the pastels or even the guys or some come go with me. I think they won it, but we we would have won. And so that was a pretty, you know, kind of hurt everybody. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I got out of the Air Force, and my brother had this group. So he would let me kind of be the front man, you know, I sang stuff and I could play three cars on the piano right. so I was kind of like the front man and the bass player left and the drum, the drummer was a bass player he could play bass so that left me with the drums I was 21 years old now I had, I had played a little uh, you know snare stuff for the American Legion marching band it wasn't that much but I couldn't play a set of drums for nothing right and so, oh, so you got started pretty late then. Yeah, I started when I was 21. So uh, <clears throat> I practiced and practiced and halfway got it together. And so, what kind? Of, what, so, what kind of stuff were you practicing? Was it more? Well, I was kind of practice. Or, you know, people would show me. I was like the paradiddles, and uh, you know, they had um, the different rudiments out at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't hear too much about them now because people got, you know, they, it's a whole other thing that they're doing. But um, I was trying to do that. Uh, and, pe you know, they would show me, guys would show me certain things. They didn't show me too much, but they would show me certain things. Mm -hmm. and, well, so, so what did, I guess a lot of people out there um, are kind of wondering, you know, where your where your feel came from. Because your, your feel is, is absolutely amazing. Um, okay, well, what happened was I became a jazz drummer. You know, mm -hmm. I started playing. I got tired of going on the road. 
I got a book coming out too. So, but so we just skipped it, you know. But I got, you know, I got tired of kind of going up and down the road and doing the chitlin thing. Even though what mm-hmm. I was getting into would, would have been was going to be the same thing. I still, so I wanted to stay home. So I, um, at first the guy that used to work with my father, he he had a, a it was it would be me and him it was like a duo. He hired me, and I couldn't even play drums, but he taught me how to sing all the standards and stuff. So I did that right. for a couple of years, and I learned the standards, which was good. But then I graduated to playing with the organ trios. Mm-hmm. Guy named, by the name of Frank Edwards gave me a chance to, to get in there and, and play, because I, I always liked jazz. And so, mm-hmm. so, like, what organ players were you playing with? Well, you know, a lot of the local guys. Now, I, mm-hmm. I sat in with Jimmy uh, McGriff, uh, um, oh, a, lot of, a lot of different guys. You know, like Jimmy Smith or any of those cats? Or? Yeah, I mean, and so, but, you know, a lot of different, when they would come to town, you get to sit in with them. But mm-hmm. anyway, I, I, I started doing the organ trio thing, and um, between that and I had, one of my brothers, what really uh, got me, we went to, we were in, a, I was in his band, and we went down south. And the, this promoter had us to come down south. We thought it was going to be great, but he tricked us and had us uh, posing as Otis Redding and William Bell. We'd get run out of a lot of the towns. <laughs> you know, it was pretty rough, you know. Oh, man. Uh, so I didn't like that. So I st- they they went back to Kansas City and I stayed. And I got a gig with Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. I don't know mm-hmm. if you heard of them or not. He was the guy that originated the twist. Really? Right. Yeah, he's the one that discovered James Brown. Actually, he was the one that brought James Brown to to that to the to the King label. Really? Yeah. Huh. But I got a, so I got a job with them, and that's why I got that shuffles. Learned how to play the shuffles and stuff. I didn't even have a hi hat. I had a, a rag tom, a, a bass drum, a ride cymbal, and uh, a snare. That's and a, no hi hat. No hi hat. <laughs> and so, you know, I got that. You know, I I, I played with them for about a, I guess a year and a half, a year or two. And uh, I met a lot of people. I got to meet Sam Cook and a lot of different people on the road. You know, it was, it was great. That, but awesome. I, but they would travel. So the traveling was worse than the ones that I was doing with my brother. Like we'd be in Los Angeles today, and they'd have to be in Little Rock, Arkansas tomorrow night by car. Right. Right. And so we we would barely make it. So I, I didn't like and barely sleeping. I'm sure. Right. Oh well, no, they called me the Cobra because I wouldn't sleep. You know, I don't, I'm watching everybody because they would be kind of they would be smoking weed and doing 120 miles an hour, and I I could never sleep. You know, so they called me the Cobra. <laughs> but um, I you know it got tedious. I met that's where I met Fred Wesley. He just gotten out of college, and he was with Frank Bell at midnight before he got with James Brown. Oh, okay. And um, I, that's when I, you know, I came back home and I played with my brothers for a minute, but then I got into the organ trio and I started really getting into the Cold Train stuff and all. I got, I was in with the Cold Train stuff was when I was with the Midnighters because they, we would get to play some of the Cold Train uh, songs before they would come out. You know, we study all mm-hmm. day, so I, it kind of, they kind of had me leaning towards the jazz. So when I came back home, I was fortunate enough to get a, you know, job playing with the organ trios. 
Mm-hmm. And I got that down, and, and I was enjoying that. And some friends of, my, of mine were on the Dean Martin show out here in Los Angeles. And I thought they had made the big times, and they said, come on out. I like the star of the devil, you know. Right. And I couldn't I couldn't work with them because I couldn't play their songs. You know, right. I couldn't play. So uh, I'm, I, upon coming out here, I had been to California a couple of times with the organ trio thing, the organ quartet thing. I met a gentleman by the name of John Boudreaux who had played on a lot of the records, hit records in New Orleans. He had moved out mm-hmm. here, but he was the jazz drummer. Mm-hmm. And so I met him one night. And I got his number, and I forgot he had, I had his number. So after I was out here for a while, I went and, you know, I found his number, and I called him. He said, man, I'll get you a gig. So he got me a gig with Charles Wright, who was at that time a concession player. He played the chinks, and he was left-handed. Oh, okay. So huh. the chinks sounded different because he played them upside down, played the guitar upside down, as they call it. Uh, so... He fired me about five times because I couldn't play no R&B. <laughs> and so I don't know if you could get nobody else. So the stuff that you were playing before was, wasn't really backbeat stuff. It was all straight ahead stuff. Right, straight ahead stuff. I might play a pattern one time and that was it. I couldn't think like that. I, you know? <laughs> and I couldn't hear it. I mean, if I listened to a record, I couldn't tell you what it was for nothing. For some reason or another, I was somewhere else. So he hired me. He said, you know, he hired me for the fifth time, and he said, hey, just keep time. Don't play no fields, because he really <laughs> does the, the New Orleans drummer. So he said, just keep time. Don't play no fields. So I, he had me to play four on the floor and, the, and four on the hi-hat and four on the snare. I had never done mm-hmm. nothing like that before. It was pretty boring. But, I, you know, I needed to try to, to work, and, and he was paying $12 a night. You know, he was making mm-hmm. a lot of money, but that's why it was a strip club that was off Thursdays and we worked in there. So it was, you know, it was more than I was making. I would have to get on the bus sometimes with my drums and, right, right. and go. But uh, <clears throat> I got, I, I kind of got this hang of playing those forward. I think I must have did it for about eight months. <laughs> but I, I dug the 16th notes. You uh-huh. know, I dug those. I mean, for some reason or another, it's, it's the forwards just seem boring. So mm-hmm. as I'm, I'm developing into an R&B, R&B drummer. I, I wanted to play the 16 notes with the fours, man. It just see, it ain't, ain't nothing moving. Right. So, so when now you, were you hearing 16th notes when you're playing that stuff? Or are you hearing quarter notes when you're? Playing? I was hearing. I was hearing. I was. I was barely making the quarter notes. I'm hearing 16. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't right. play them, but I'm hearing them. You know. Right. Right. So I played. You know, I, I, I started started to developing my own style. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, the first record I made with the Walk Band, which was a hit, was called "Do Your Thing." If you listen to that, mm-hmm. you can tell it's very—it's kind of free. It was a right. gold record. It's kind of you know. But uh, express yourself when the sixteenth notes really started making a difference, right? You know, and then I started using them, and then uh, I started experimenting, and then when I got to, you know, I started working with Bill Withers. <clears throat> and uh, that uh, did use me. I made that 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 uh, beat up and kissing my love. You you know uh, kissing my it's love. My favorite groove of all time, by the way, kissing my love. Kissing my love was a shuffle. It was a shuffle. Uh-huh. And for some reason or another, it wasn't working in the studio, and that was the last song that we played for that day. 
And so I came up with that, you know, that beat. And mm-hmm. uh, that was, you know. Yeah, let's, can we talk about that that, that groove for a minute? Yeah. So, so it, you're playing 16th notes. But it's like a it's like a shuffle on top of you know it's just yeah oh, like a like a swung like a swung, swung sixteen note right because right that was the rhythm that when I'm kissing my love you know you know it's kind of I guess he kind of wanted a shuffle thing or whatever you know right right so it wasn't working for some reason or another uh, uh, I get to be the the the, uh, the I guess oh, when I'm kissing my love I think that uh well I'm not gonna go into but um, it wasn't work. <laughs> we could go into it if you want to. Well, I, the, the way that he was singing it, it was going to almost be like a 6-4 at certain mm-hmm. points. So we couldn't deal with that. I came up with the... You know, and uh, right, right. I, I, you know, as we played it, I refined it. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, there's some more stuff about that, but I'm not going to tell it because I'm writing a book right now. Okay, you know, I can appreciate that. You know, and but uh, I started doing, you know, the 16th note thing, and uh, it kind of developed, and you know, I guess it developed into my style. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, by me under, understanding. You know, I did a lot of Dyke and the Blazer stuff. That too much. That that wasn't well. Some of it was sixteen notes stuff, but right. a lot of it wasn't. So when did you when did you start playing with Dyke and the Blazers? Well, I, I, I uh, Ray Jackson, who was uh, a trombonist, and he played the keyboards with Bill Withers, uh, mm-hmm. was in the Watson Hundred Third Street Rhythm Band. Uh, Al McKay, the guitar player, was in there before he went with Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Sammy, Sammy Davis Jr. Um, he he and Ray were high school friends, so he brought Ray. And Al was the drummer. But Al used to play drums while I was stand up and sing. But Charles didn't. Oh, really? Yeah, Charles didn't like that. I was getting the house sometimes. <laughs> he just didn't like it. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, Ray was an arranger, so he would get these dates. Man, you want to make a date? I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to make a date. You know, by that time, mm-hmm. I could do that. I mean, when I came out here, from time to time, people would call me for sessions. And before I had got my R&B chops together, man, they didn't even pay me because it was awful. <laughs> you know, I think the first 12 I did was awful. So <laughs> so when would you? when did you start to really, you know, get a lot of calls for session and really start to be? Um, 1972. 1972? Yeah, about 1972. I started doing some, a lot of Motown things. A contractor one day, I met him. Uh, I was at the record plant at that time. The famous record plant is not, it's not any longer here. It was, it was on Third Street. They have a record plant now, but it's, it's not the same. It was, this was the original record plant where all this stuff went down at, you know. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, man, we, I've been looking for you for two years. Can you read? I said, yeah, I was lying. So... <laughs> But I didn't think he would call me. So he still called right. me for these Motown dates. And uh, when I, wa- I walked in there, man, and I saw Joe Sample and Wilton Felder, and, uh, man, I just saw, I mean, some of the top people that I'd be reading about on these albums, I was scared to death. And they'd have their music written out, 
and they would have the hi hat parts written out at the, all the different times. Everything was written out. And um, I don't know how I got through it, but I did. But what I started doing, I would go home every day and study all the rest of the evening in the morning, and and, and you know, and, and and eventually I got it together. You know, right, right. But, uh, so you couldn't read at all when you when you started going in there, or just just not very well. I couldn't read drum music. I might be able to right. read a little trumpet music, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> so I mean, by the grace of God, I've been blessed. You know, that's the, that's the truth about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was kind of like a fake it, fake it till you make it. Huh? I said sort of like a fake it till you make it mentality. Well, I wasn't faking it because the producers knew what they wanted over there, and I thought that they could. Some of them, I thought that they could read. And so when I'd uh-huh. be studying a lot of times, I'd get a big headache because what they would tell me was on the paper, you know. And I, you know, until I finally started relaxing, I'd get a big headache because I thought they, I said, well, maybe what they tell me, man, last, I want you to play this, man. So I'm thinking, I'm, you know, I said, oh my God, this don't look like what I was studying. <laughs> but eventually I got it, you know, I got it together. And uh, James Carmichael, who was an arranger who did a lot of, Arranging and producing, if you do producing, I know Rich and a lot of those people. He said, yeah, we, let's keep him because he has good timing. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was in my favor. And so I I, I got it, I, you know, I studied and I got it together. And uh, then I started, you know, I did a lot of Motown stuff. Then I started getting calls beside the Motown stuff for, for you know, a lot of the other things too. Right. So, so back to the... Um the Dyke and the Blazers stuff. So that I've heard a couple of different stories about how that band kind of got put together. Um, and they were originally with the OJs, right? See, I don't know. I never really played with the band. I did the studio work. Okay. But you know, okay. they, they might've been with the OJs, you know, but Dyke mm-hmm. came in from Phoenix and, um, I didn't play on funky Broadway. That was probably oh, the didn't? band. No, I didn't play on, but I played on okay. all the rest of them. Let a woman be a woman. We got more soul. All the other right, stuff. Right, right, right. You know, I'm trying. I think was uh, was Shotgun Slim and all that stuff. That was on Funky Broadway too, wasn't it? Well, I played on that. So, oh, you played on on Shotgun, Shotgun Slim? Slim? Yeah. Oh, nice. First, I love that too. The first too. one that I played on was called Funky Walk. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it was a hit record. You know, I played on it. I mean, and I was starting to get my chops together, the R&B stuff. And we played that, and Art LeBeau loved it. He said, man, let's do a part two. You know, I said, well, man, you know, I felt kind of good because I wasn't messing up like I always would, you know. <laughs> right, right. And it came out, and I, I, I didn't hear it. it. They probably played it on the radio, but I didn't hear it, so I didn't know. So he called us again. He called me again for the session. He said, man, you know, that record did pretty good. Right. Said, oh, then I found out they were playing it in my hometown and everywhere. You know, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, well, there's about uh, there's about seven different funky Broadways, isn't there? Yeah. Well, I, well Dyke was the originator, and then I right. think Pickett had the, the gold record on it. Pickett had the big mm-hmm. one. No, but I mean, even even Dyke did the. He had uh, funky Broadway, funky Broadway Part Two, and then there's. Uh, there's a couple different versions on on some of those records that I've heard. Oh, okay. That he has all kinds of different stuff going on, but so you just did all the studio work, never went on tour with him, right? No, anything. I never. Went, I almost went on tour with him, mm-hmm. but I didn't. No. Right. 
So how did you get hooked up with uh, with Bill Withers? Well, I met Bill Withers through Charles Wright. Bill Withers used to come by. I think Charles Wright might have managed him for a couple of weeks. And he'd come by, <laughs> and I met Bill, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> we were in the studio the first time with an upright bass player, the three sounds of the upright bass player. I can't think of his name. It, and didn't nothing happen. It wasn't, it wasn't, didn't nothing go down. I mean, it was, didn't nobody know what they was doing. No. You know, so we did that and we kind of stayed in touch. And I think Ray Jackson, who I mentioned earlier, was working with Bill all the time before he did uh, Ain't No Sunshine. Mm-hmm. And um, from what I heard, uh, for the uh, Ain't No Sunshine was a big hit and all that. And a lot of people think I played on that because they see me on uh, a lot of the, you know, videos and stuff. But I didn't mm-hmm. play on that. I think that was uh, the famous drummer from Stax uh, who played on that because Booker T. Jones produced that album. Okay, and, okay. And he got busy uh, doing Willie Nelson's Stardust album when they wanted him to do the second album. And so we did We did that ourselves. You know, Bill came, you know, he'd come over to my house and we rehearsed in the garage. And we got, right. we got it down. And we did the second album, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I did about three albums with him. Hey, are you tired of coded drum heads chipping and flaking after only a few hours of play? Tired of premature denning and breakage? Well, welcome to the next generation of coded drum heads, Evan's new UV coating technology. They're made with proprietary inks and a new UV-like curing process, so these heads are able to withstand strikes, brush strokes, and rim shots better than anything on earth. That means you get to play heads that sound and look fresh for longer, and you can spend less time tuning and modifying and changing heads. They're available in one-ply and two-ply, as well as Evan's proprietary hydraulic and EMAD systems. Check them out by going to evansdrumheads.com. I've been checking out the new Sonar SQ-1 kits, and they are sick. You know who else thinks they're sick? Chris Coleman. I'll let him take it from here. When I hear something inside of me, I have to get it out. I have to get the sound that's within me out. Whatever I'm feeling in the moment, I go for it. And I may create something fresh and new for me. Something I may change about it, something I may not. I'm just going with the flow. Sonar's done it. SQ1, my sonar drummer. Check them out. You dig them. Hey, you're almost running out of time to save some massive, massive dough at Sweetwater. You can go to sweetwater.com forward slash deal zone and get their year-end clearance sale. It's big deals before the ball drops. And we're talking about on all sorts of stuff. There's pages and pages and pages of deals that you can check out, including rolling kick triggers. There's lacy drives on there. There's rolling V-drums, the TD25K. There's all sorts of microphones and headphones, and you can get a Yamaha Stage Custom Burt Shell Pack for only $5.99. All sorts of stuff. Again, pages and pages of year-end clearance sales only at Sweetwater. Go to sweetwater.com forward slash deal zone before the end of the year and save yourself some bread. Let's get back into it with the one and only James Gatson. 
So then, I guess I, I, I'm, some of this maybe may or may not be in your book. So whatever you know, we bring up that you want to. Well, it's gonna be in the book. I just didn't go into a lot of detail. Sure. A lot of people gonna sure. be mad, you know, because I'm gonna tell right. the truth about it. Right. <laughs> well, I, the whole. I mean, the whole thing with with uh, with Bill just kind of retiring pretty early. Um, do you? I mean, do you know? I'm sure that you know well, what I happened left, there. I left to do sessions. What I what he mentioned one day. He he mentioned one day. He said, "Man, all you players in the goddamn 16 notes on everything." So I got threatened. <laughs> you know, I said, "Well, hey, the man, the 16 notes is making the hits." I think right. I think he wanted to make a change anyway from the whole band. You know, mm-hmm. and so. He said, well, man, all you playing them goddamn 16 notes, and I didn't get no writers off of nothing. I thought I should have got something for Use Me and especially Kissing My Love, you know. Right. Because everybody else in the band got something, but I didn't get nothing. He told me, really? come on up to the house one when when, day and we'll write something here. So, you know, I guess my con- contribution wasn't great enough, you know, or whatever it was. But, uh, so that was just like a, a a work for hire kind of thing, and that was it? Well, that's, I, I thought we was all cool, but <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I didn't realize that. I I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure how close you two were. Well, or, I, we, um, you know, I was, I thought, you know, we was, we were, we never had an argument as, as of today. Hmm. You know, I mean, you know, but that's just, I just didn't get what I thought I should have gotten. You know, that right. too well, that's one of the reasons why I, when I left, you know, and you say, well, hey, man, everything you everything you playing got them goddamn 16 notes in there. So, you know, that's kind of shh, like a needle sticks in you, you know, kind of chips right. So I Well, I would say everything that I'm playing is a hit, so. So I said, well, you know what, let me try to get me something going somewhere. Right. So, and he was kind of glad to see me go, I think, in a way. Mm-hmm. But uh, so that's, you know, I started working for the Motown and I was able to to hang, you know, with Stan. Right. And turn, you know, turn, because Motown was, they were still playing a lot of stuff in fours. They, you know, my right. fours were a little different than the Detroit fours, but I played a lot of hits with them too, you know. Mm-hmm. So what's the what's the difference between the two, like the Detroit Four versus? Well, they were more relaxed. I mean, this was they were playing. I mean, here I am trying to copy them, and this was right. their thing. You know what I'm saying? And when I mm-hmm. saw Motown, when I saw uh, uh, the Funk Brothers uh, movie, <laughs> and saw those people playing, <laughs> I realized that I was nowhere close to what they were doing. Right, you know, but I, I, you know, I was just blessed that what I did was a. Uh, do you mean skill wise or, or style wise? Style wise, I mean, I do the same I do the same feels and stuff that they did because the Motown had a kind of standard. They wanted to stick to certain things at, at one time. Don't do it, right. you know. Because I say, "Bop, I do, but do bop." They said, "No, don't play that feel. Play stomp, stick it down, stomp, don't stick it down, bop." And so, <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I got to where I, you know, I would do that. And uh, when I when I heard how relaxed that they played this stuff when I saw the movie, then I knew that you know it was a whole it was a whole different thing, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But I so then go ahead. But I mean, you know, I was playing. You know, I figured when I played the fours that I was playing them. You know, I'm I'm figuring I'm copying them, but my thing was different. You were, you were a little bit more ahead of the beat. 
Uh, no, I wasn't ahead of the beat or nothing. I was, we was on the same beat. It's just the feel that they had was different than the feel that I played. I might have played a little more aggressive mm-hmm. on the beat, but maybe a little more aggressive than they played because they was just relaxed. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And they had two drummers a lot of times, too. Right. But anyway, it was great, you know, for me to be doing, you know, I, I had, you know, when I came out here, man, you know, it was kind of rough for me. I had jobs for a minute. I did a lot of, you know, different jobs at the post office and a lot of other places. And uh, I just, you know, I, I had almost given up. I said, well, man, if I hear myself on the radio, then I'll be happy. Right. You know, but I mean, hey, I got, Lord bless me and. You know, I, I hear myself on the radio. All the time now. Right, yeah. And, you know, so that was, you know, because I, I had no idea. I was a singer. I was a singer also. <clears throat> and that's another story. You know, the, the you know, the watch band thing. I sang a song called Love Land. That was a big record. Oh, okay. I never knew that. Yeah, it was a big record. It was a big record. It was number two pop, I think. Hmm. And, um. Uh, I, I, I'll go into that on the book on the book culture you know it's gonna be some people gonna be a lot of people gonna be mad when I tell about a lot of situations that went down you know right but uh, you know I sang that and uh, it was a cold situation but uh, you know I thought that well when I joined the watch band I, this Charles I said well man you know I I uh, I sang too, so I said, "Man, I might have to sing some of the songs." Oh man, man, you can sing the songs, but some of the songs. But I don't think he really wanted me to sing. No, you know. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know that's that. And but uh, I, uh, you know, hey, I've got. I was blessed, and I started getting busy playing uh, the sessions and stuff, and I started experimenting and doing other things, you know. Other styles besides the sixteen notes and a lot of mm-hmm. different things, and so it was. It's been, you know, hey, I just did a thing with Lady Gondon last week. One song, really? yeah. I mean, I'm saying that to see, you know, I, I get to play with a lot of the younger people. You know, I've done Beck stuff. I've done uh, Lisa Del Rey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the Ziggy. Uh, so I've been blessed, you know, because somewhere. They enjoy what I, you know, somebody took note and enjoyed what my contribution to the music business was. Well, it's and so that's it's a blessing to me, you know. Well, I think we're all blessed to, you know, to to have you to hear you play on all these records, and uh, you know, like I said earlier, you've definitely influenced a, a ton of people, um, playing wise, you know, music wise, everything. Uh, so and the. The real thing that that really sticks out, I think, that everybody when your name comes up is that feel that we were okay. that we were talking about earlier. Well, I just put, I try to put myself. Everything that I do, I try to put, you know, me into it to try to make it feel a certain way. And then by me being mm-hmm. a singer, I understand. You know, I kind of know, feel how a singer would feel the way that they breathe and the phrase. You know. Mm-hmm. So I uh, just like you know the feel good thing. I just like those things to feel good. Yeah, well they do when you play, man. Well, that's a blessing, you know. I'm mean, <laughs> all grooves, all you know, the God, you know, because that's a blessing. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that is truly what that is. Absolutely. So how do you feel about the stuff that the, the music that's out there now? Well, it's all music. I mean, what can you say? I mean, you know, uh, they had before they had Count Basie and they had a lot of different other people. I mean, you know, things, uh, it's not as musical because of, uh, you got people making music that a lot of times are not really, uh, musicians, you know, they didn't mm-hmm. study, you know, it's a different thing. Some of it is, you know, everybody, I, I like all music. I like all of it because, I mean, I had to yodel and play country stuff when I was in Kansas City. So all of it's good right. for me, the, the punk stuff mm-hmm. and everything else. You know, some of it, you know, it's just different. You, you know, the time, it goes with the time, you know. Right. The sampling thing, I mean, now that to me is, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't get what, you know, I think that the way that they do a lot of the musicians, they pay us a, a work for hire basis for that, and they sampling the meat of the record. You know, they got you thinking, well, hey, you're just a musician, but the samplers are making all the money. You know, right? And the writers don't. The writers won't give. I think they try to put a law in where they would where where the the musicians would get something when they played on the radio, but the writers didn't want that to happen. Overseas, they do it. Mm-hmm. You know, in different other countries. So that's the only thing that I I I look at it. I think that that's not fair at all, you know. And I mean, how many, you know, how many of your drum tracks do you think have been sampled? Oh man, I, I wouldn't even know. I used to, I, I used to hear all day. I could hear me on almost <laughs> yeah. every record at one time. You know, I used to hear right. that. You know, so, was it mostly hip hop guys sampling it, or is it? Yeah, hip hop guys and uh, you know the rappers, everybody else. Right. Uh, who who are using the samples? You know. Hmm. Hmm. Any any like recent tunes that you can think of off the top of your head? No, but it's, I'm sure there's some out there. Right. Just, you know, I can't think of who it is, but you know what can you say? I mean, I had gotten some calls from different publishers that wanted me to work with the rappers, but the thing about it was they would they just wanted to pay me for work for hire when another rapper can come in with a drum machine even and and come in with a beat and he'll get a piece of the action. They didn't want to pay me like that. You know, I told him, I said, well, hey, if I come in and I make up something, well, well, no, they didn't want to hear that. So I I thought that wasn't cool. That's not cool at all. No. I mean, what's the difference if if you're programming it or or if you're playing it? I think you should get more if you're actually playing it. But they didn't want to do that, so I said, well, okay. I, I ain't coming in. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. So is it is it is it flattering that that you're getting sampled, or does it does it really well, it's, uh, it, it's, upset? It's good you? and it's bad. I mean, it's it's good in one way because hey, somebody liked what I did, but in other, but somebody else is making the money for it. Right. So, right. And I can see that double edged sword yeah, kind of thing. Right. So that's that's what you know. What can you say, you know? And I guess, you know, there's tons and tons of guys out there that are that are kind of going through the same thing that you are with oh, all, yeah, these, I'm sure. you, with all the new tunes and, and getting sampled. Right. And uh, I was actually talking to, to uh, Daniel Glass uh, last week, and he was talking about how all the, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the session guys um, from Motown and, and even before that, um, 
just kind of got you know a little bit taken advantage of on the on the session side of things. Yeah, and these and these guys were you know putting out hit records and and these guys were playing drums on them and sometimes they didn't even get credit for them, let alone. That's true. Yeah, they didn't get a lot of time. They didn't get a. You know, nobody knew who was playing. I mean, the whole Motown, I didn't find out who was playing on the Motown sessions until I was in the watch band. And, you know, I was starting, I was in the music business at the time. And so I started finding out who was playing. I found out James Jamerson, famous bass player. You know, I, right, right, right. I saw him in his chart. You know, he was working in the club. I mean, he was still making records. But, uh, you know, we didn't know who it was, you know. Mm-hmm. So you didn't, a lot of times when you were cutting the tracks, you didn't even know who the artist was? Well, and, you know, and a lot of times we didn't know who the artist was. In Motown, no, you didn't know. And why did why did they do that? Do you know? Well, or? I don't know. I think that sometimes I would cut two and three versions, different producers, mm-hmm. you know, and they would, you know, because of my, they might use, the song might be used on, they couldn't, you know, the song might be used on any other artist. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that, you know. So they were kind of more or less creating like a library of, of grooves and tunes and stuff that they could use for whoever they wanted. Well, I, I can't say what they were doing. I don't know, but right. But I know that a lot of times, you know, you never, you know, when I heard it on the radio, then I knew who it was. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you would know, well, this is for the Jacksons or this is for such and such a person, you know. Right. But a lot of times you didn't know. Right, right, right. That makes sense. No. That makes sense. So who's the who's the the best artist that you played with? The best? Yeah. Who who did you enjoy playing with the most? Oh I man, say. I don't know. I couldn't really <laughs> say. I mean, you know, all you know, all of them. I had a good time with. Uh, you know, some some of them. Some you know. Uh, sometimes maybe the personalities might be a little strange. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was pretty cool. I mean, I, you know, it was, you know, it was, you know, I don't know. I, I, I can't say what the best record, you know, I, I just, I remember certain things. I remember I did one take for certain things. I remember Reunited was one take. Uh, Got to Be Real was one take. You know, you remember stuff like that. Right, right. Um, you know, that was fun. I mean, I, as far as, as playing, you know, every night I see I tour with Bill with us. I don't right. think we groove the whole time I toured with him. I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't remember having a bad night. No, you know, as far as mu- bad night musically, right, right. You know, um, so it was, you know, I mean, you know, there was so many different, you know, it was a blessing to to make, you know, to make some of those records the magic thing. Marvin Gaye was sure. great. Diana Ross, uh, The Temptations. Uh, I mean, there's so many people. I mean, people that wasn't at Motown, I did a lot of hits with. I'm just, you know, I mean, you know, Beck is fantastic, you know. Uh, right. Ellie L. King. Uh, you know, just, it, it's, when I sit down to play, I, I, it's, it's like going in the ring. I try to, make a hit every time, you know, I try to put my right. whole, you know, heart and soul into it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's a blessing. That's the way I look at it. Even nowadays. I mean, if I didn't, and I enjoy playing, if I didn't, then I wouldn't be doing it no more. 
Sure, you know? sure. And do you take a lot of time to to kind of reflect and look back at at all these records that you played on and kind of soak it in and and really uh, you know enjoy that? Uh, in a way, uh, you know. I mean, you know, through the years, the music. As the music moves a little bit and it changes to a degree. And so, you know, I've been playing a lot of blues lately at one time and, and some rock. So my style is a little different. I mean, I can still do the things that I did, but you know, you have different, different styles and different, different things. Uh, I look, listen to some of them and, you know, some of them, uh, some of them I have a good time. Um, some of the stuff that I did, and I won't call no names, if I listen to it, I don't have a good time because it was a bad time for me. Right. You know? Right. And a lot of them were hits. But, um... You mean bad time personally or... Personally, yeah. Personally? Okay. Uh, but, you know, I'm just glad that, um... You know, I did it, you know, and then you look at them and say, you know, I could have done that better. I sure, I sure sound sloppy on this and that and the other. No. Mm-hmm. Doing the interview, obviously. Doing the interview. So, you know, <clears throat> I just, I probably need to listen to some of the things sometime. Right. You know, so <laughs> I'm trying, I'm still learning. And st- right. You know, I'm still learning and, uh, you know, still trying to perfect certain things. I guess we never get perfect. Right. You know, right. But, so do you think, you know, after the, after you went through the, the Motown stuff and did you just continually have to adapt for, for, for different things? How did you kind of approach that? Well, I knew that, um, uh, you know, when I first started there, I played a lot of, I mean, a lot of those sessions I did, I played the fours <clears throat> and I guess I played my own style because I thought I was playing the Motown style. Then on dancing machine, that was not like the four stuff or a lot of other stuff. The Jackson stuff that I did or a lot of the Temptation stuff, it was, you know, a lot of it was two and four stuff. Or like Dancing Machine, or I, I wasn't reading that good at the time that we did that that song, that session. And so the introduction, bomb, 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 bomb. Well, he counted it off and I said, bomb, bomb. I said, boo doo 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 with my foot and everybody stopped. I knew I was fired that day. <laughs> You know, <laughs> he waited for about three minutes. And the guy said, "Hey, can you do that again?" Really? Yeah. So that was a blessing, you know. That happened. Right. And uh, I was so nervous when he got the bam 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 I was putting the bam 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 They had to stop and and and, and I had to relax because I was so shook up because you know here I am in in Motown. Right. You know, I'm in the, the cream of, uh, you know, I mean, uh, this is the top of the line. I'm doing, playing for the, the, the top people, you know. And how old are you? Huh? How old are you at the time? How old was I? I was about, in there, about 27, something. Okay. So, you know, you, uh, you know, it's just life. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right, so, absolutely. Or like, so how would you got to how, be real. And Cheryl, Cheryl, whatever the name is, she told me I should have played that. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so you know, you don't ever know. And right. then when I did, I did reunited one time, and I said, 
I, Freddie Perrin, who was the producer, I said, hey, man, that's a hit. That's a, he said, man, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take your word for it. And it was a number one. There you, know? you go. So, I mean, it felt so good that day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How many number ones have you been on? I don't know. I, I've never. Lost count? Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I've been on a lot of <laughs> number ones. Not a lot of, not a lot of, not a lot of, not a, well, I'm kind of number one pop, but a lot of number one R&Bs. I've been on some number one pops too, but, you know. Right, right, right. So how would, so if you had some advice to give for younger guys that are, that are coming up now, um, you know, that want to do session work and, and want to do touring work, um, what advice would you have for them? I'd tell them to, to try to learn all the different styles of the music business, everything. It's the stuff you don't even like trying to learn that, especially if you want to be a session drummer. Mm-hmm. And uh, your personality counts a lot. You know, you got to try to get along with everybody and try right. to play with the band instead of p- being a star. Don't go in there and try to star. Play as mm-hmm. best as if you're doing, uh, you know, making the record. You know, live right. is a little different. It's got a little more edge to it and all that. I did. I, I haven't done as much, near as much, library uh, playing as I did. You know, making records. Mm-hmm. And relax. You know, the best thing to do is relax. You know, if you got to go to the bathroom or whatever you got to, when you get ready to do the session, be relaxed and ready to to listen to everything that goes down because you never know what's going to go down when you're in the studio. You know, right? You never know. And what about working on on feel? How do you do? You think that comes from learning all these styles and kind of incorporating? Yeah, I think them, if or? you listen to different people and, and 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 figure out how they feel, you know, it's a feel for everything. You know, I mean, the classical stuff is, has a certain feel. I mean, you hear those dynamics and those different people when they wrote that. It's feel, you know, feel is feel. Um, try to incorporate. You know, if you can try to put yourself into. A, you know, you can tell whatever instrumental person is playing a violin, a saxophone, drum, you can feel their presence in this instrument. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's what I right. think that works for a lot of, you know, that's what people feel that, you know, human, mm-hmm. humans. You know, that's why a lot of times when they're uh, doing all this uh, programming, it lasts maybe a year or two. You hear it next year and it's old. You know, the sounds are different. And the feel, right. you know, you listen, it ain't, you know, people say, oh, man, this, this ain't, you know, they're trying to get, they're trying to get more humanized within everything that they're doing now. And they're using, a, right. they're using tape a lot of times, too. You know, they're using tape. To, again, to warm it up. Trying to warm the stuff up again. And, you know, so it's all, just try to be the best you can be. Try to learn all the different styles of the music and try to get along with everybody, you know, right. because you never know what's going to happen. Sure, and, um, sure. You know, that's, you know, just... And practice. Now, do you, you think it was... Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do you think that that was, that was your biggest, um, you know, your biggest attribute, your your feel and, and the way that you got along with people? Do you think that's why you got hired? Because I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, there's... A producer can pick 10 guys that can that are all amazing, but if they're... You know, if if nobody likes them and you know they don't have good feel or they're not they're not cool in the studio or something like that, it's less likely that these people get hired. Well, yeah, I, I, I guess. I mean, you know, the way that I would make it feel probably had a lot to do with it. You know, and the timing, mm-hmm. time, 
timing, you know. There are a lot of times I have to go in and do stuff that that's not in time, that I have to try to make it feel right. Right. You know, so it's it's about a lot of things. You know. Cool. You know. And one last question. So any mistakes that you can uh that you can tell some up and coming drummers to to avoid being late to a session mhm um, advice give it only when asked to give it because a lot of times you can go in the studio and you can be telling the producer what you think it should be. Right, and he's got uh, he's got in mind a whole other thing, and you might not come, you you won't be back there, you know. Right, right. You know, and and, and the equipment. Make sure your equipment is is you know try to keep your equipment together. So when you're going there, you know your stuff. I mean, I went in, I was in the studio the other day and took a snare in man, and I got to fix that snare. And I'm glad we're talking. I heard the screw <laughs> in the bottom of it popping. You know, I know that was awful. Which was awful. Right, you know, right. so you know, you got to keep, you know, keep your stuff together, and you know, mm-hmm. it's a business. Yeah, it's a absolutely. It's, it's, it's a talent, but it's a business. Right. So it's all about, you know, everything. You gotta, even though you can, you can play really well, but if if you're not a good businessman and you're not, you know, on top of your business, then uh, then well, you're I, I would advise all musicians to try to be on top of the business thing because. You will get taken advantage of. Sure. It's not you might, it's, it's you will get taken advantage You will. Absolutely. That is excellent advice. Excellent I, advice. I, I got some things coming out in the book. I can't speak about them now, but, you know, they get. And what's, <laughs> when's that book coming out? Well, I'm still working on it. You know, okay. hopefully next year. All right. Do you have a title for it yet? or Behind These Sticks. Behind These Sticks? Yeah. Awesome. I can't wait to uh, to check that out once it comes out. And once it's out, we'll have to have you have you back on the show. Oh, we can, that would be you know, so wonderful! Yeah, we can talk about the book and and uh, chat more chat more about music. Right, James. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. And uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Thank you. There you have it, the inimitable James Gadson, and you can get the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 545. And if you dig this, if you love these episodes, do me a favor, leave a rating, leave a review. And in 2020, we're rolling out a whole new slew of great interviews with amazing players and some other kind of stuff, some other cool stuff, I should say, that we got up our sleeve. So sign up for the mailing list by going to drummersresource.com and you can keep up to date with all that. And until the next episode, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com. Peace.